Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 109. Not nearly as contentious and exciting as episode 108. You don't know that yet. We haven't really just got started. Well, that's true. Don't judge. There are not as many people to uh, shriek with rage about, say, a subject that people know and are enraged by, like Batman versus Superman. So we'll just have to make up for lost time. No, fuck you. Okay, there we go. <laughs> See? I feel like I've gotten it out of my system. Oh, now. good, good. Yeah, uh, last week's show was a doozy. And we thought initially we were going to follow it up uh, with, and if you've got Showtime, uh, start taking a look, because this has just started airing, I think. There's a, mm. a movie that came out. It's a documentary about the Superman Lives flick, the the Tim Burton version that was supposed to come out in the late 90s. I believe the, the documentary is called The Death of Superman Lives. Yes. Uh, and yeah, it was it's something that I think it was kickstarted by a dude. and Some dude. Yeah. I mean, it goes through the, the whole process of that Tim Burton Superman movie. And you've seen the pictures online of Nicolas Cage. Looking vaguely looking stoned like he's, or tased. Yeah. Looking like he's had a mild stroke or some kind of coronary event in his brain in the big plastic Superman suit with the weird Harris metallic. You. Yeah, just like he's had a, a terrible moose day. <laughs> like Superman attacked a moose factory. A moose factory? Yeah. It's, like hair moose? Uh, no, a factory where they make moose? Canadian moose. What the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> yes, hair moose. They don't make moose in a factory outside of a Philip K. Dick novel. Superman taking on a moose factory. Is that like some Grant Morrison thing? <laughs> It could be. Oh, keep talking. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> but yeah, we initially grabbed it off a of Showtime last night, and I know it's coming on a few times in the next month. So take a look at your listings. It it wasn't bad initially. The thought was, yeah, we'll do this, and we'll grab some audio from it. And then I realized I do not want to grab audio from a copyrighted <laughs> motion picture and throw it on the podcast and spend my vacation in two weeks. The law <laughs> answering lawsuits. But yeah, <laughs> I don't want to give too much away on it because it's it's a worthy watch. It is a worthy for, watch for an interesting subject of this movie that just kind of went away. But yeah, without giving too much away, there's clearly a lot of passion involved with the people who were going to make Superman Lives. Mm. Uh, they clearly were going to make make no better choices than Zack Snyder fucking did. You say passion, and I keep hearing meth or possibly coke, probably coke. In the nineties, it would have been coke. Meth was certainly not everywhere in Hollywood. You know, in Hollywood, you saw you saw the houses some of these people live in. Yeah. They can do better than meth. Yeah. So, but yeah, they were going to have... Giant spider. Well, yeah, everybody knows the Kevin Smith story about how the producer wanted a giant spider. But one of the things that caught me was the original plan to have Clark Kent not know that he was from Krypton. <laughs> Like his parents never told him they pulled him out of a spaceship. I'm adopted and an alien? <laughs> Fuck you! Yeah, and he, so he sort of learns. <laughs> he learns when the government finds the spaceship. That's the first time he finds out he's an alien. Yeah. No. I mean, if you think that, <laughs> if you think that Diane Lane <laughs> was a shitty mom <laughs> and uh, dances with wolves, <laughs> Kevin Costner, <laughs> terrible dad. <laughs> like, what the fuck 
what kind of father would Dad, last night, I... Oh, do we need to clean your seats, son? No, I floated above them for about 40 minutes. That's puberty. That's a normal thing. <laughs> it's normal. I can see through the walls in the girls' locker room. Don't drill people. I can just see through them. Puberty. It's puberty. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah, I remember when I first saw through the girls' locker room. I found myself in the principal's office. <laughs> Dad, my hair is long and scraggly, and that's all you. That's you, <laughs> Nick. You did this. <laughs> That's not puberty. You're making poor life choices. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, we were going to do an entire show with that, contrasting the things they were talking about versus Batman versus Superman. Clearly, we're not going to do that. But definitely, if you got Showtime, uh, take a look yeah. for it. Because it was, it was better than I thought it was going to be. The, the documentary, not, not the vision for Superman Lives. Oh, Christ, no. <laughs> Jesus. That's, even that, they, they had some test shots that you don't see all over the internet that were actually much better. Yeah. Yeah, and everybody clearly had a passion for what they were doing. Nobody went in there going, "We're going to make the shittiest Superman movie that anybody's ever heard of." The the suit was marginally better than the one with the bat nipples, but only marginally. Well, it's because it has a super cod piece. <laughs> There's a whole long stretch. Everybody's saying we got to get rid of the red underpants, and they replaced it with either a cod piece, a red stripe yeah. cod piece, yeah. or some form of g-string or anal floss. Oh. <laughs> Nick Cage and a G-string and a cape. Nick Cage and his super Brazilian. Given his current <laughs> financial status, that's something that we may be able to see at our local <laughs> strip club. Possible. Or perhaps outside of school. Oh. It's, it's hard to tell. Oh. So, yeah, we were going to do the show about that, and then we realized, oh, yeah, just because we've been unable to attend it, that doesn't mean the comic conventions are not going on, and this weekend... Yeah was Emerald City Comic Con out in Seattle and also this past week was uh it was Images annual festival that they put on to you know, basically their own little convention they put on on the West Coast yeah. to talk about books coming out so yeah we figured oh boy there's a cat there's <laughs> a cat it's becoming cool. rambunctious <laughs> all right now, normally we we put Parker the Crisis on Infinite Midlives mascot upstairs safely behind a closed door when we do the show. He was pretty well behaved when we started today. When we started is the keyword. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'll, I'll escort him upstairs if he gets rambunctious. Okay. So yeah, it's a we just sort of went through the news of the stuff that came out of these various conventions and figured we could uh Go through some. Uh, we're not going to obviously go through everything. There's a ton of news. There are some books and creators just sort of said, eh, who cares? But the stuff that at least jumped out at me as I was going through it and uh, mentioned to Amanda and she sounded interested yeah. about. So, all right, why don't we start with Emerald City Comic Con? We'll do the, the stuff that I, I pulled from there if the cat allows us to do it. Yes. <laughs> all right. So, the first thing, this actually, uh, this is unofficial news that came out yesterday. Uh, yeah, at Marvel's next big thing panel, uh, somebody asked Brian Michael Bendis if there were going to be any new Alias comics, and uh, he said, quote, this isn't an official announcement, but I'll tell you in lieu of it, yes. Uh, after Civil War II, you can look for a return. I genuinely think you'll be surprised what we do in the first issue. I pitched it actually to Melissa Rosenberg, who runs the TV show at WonderCon, and she said, really? I'm putting my own emphasis on the really. I don't, <laughs> I don't have audio. It could have been this. like, really? No, really? <laughs> Are you, Brian? <laughs> really? <laughs> Either way, the word really is here in quotes. Okay. But wait for the official announcement because this is not it. So All right. apparently there will be future alias comics. Cool. Maybe unofficially. 
Uh, apparently, they're holding it right now because he wants the original creative team, uh, which would be Michael Gatos on art, mm-hmm. uh, to return. And Gatos is working on another graphic novel that he's finishing up, so he can't come back before that. I don't know what kind of time frame he's actually talking about, and I'm wondering how actually he could really bring Alias back beyond the obvious commercial considerations of, hey, there was a TV show. Yeah. And gib money. <laughs> gib. Um, I mean, how do you, and, and this is a legitimate question, how do you do an Alias story now that, you know, Alias came out in 2001? Yeah. And the Jessica Jones character in Marvel has spent years being in a stable relationship, married with a child, as an ancillary member of at least a couple of Avengers teams, how do you go back to the broken Jessica Jones of the Alias comic? I think you have to go back to to before the comic. You you get into some of that earlier, earlier stuff. Oh, God. Another prequel? Yep. <laughs> Pre-Alias? Yep. That's a terrible title. <laughs> <laughs> they called me Jewel. <laughs> So you you think they should go before even Alias and do more Jewel stories? I don't know. Because um, <laughs> that, that seems like a non-starter to me. Or or 22 pages of her sitting in a bar starting fights. I, <laughs> I think that was the original Alias. <laughs> but I reread Alias when the TV show came out, and they re-released all the, I think it was four volumes of the trade paperback. It's yep. Jessica Jones' Alias, because, you know, get that paper, get that marketing <laughs> cross-marketing synergy, fucking jump on it brand it's all about the brand yes just gently stroke it and make it ooze and make everything mingle together and you're making it weird i've gone too far but yeah i, re- I re- the point is i reread all of them there's a ton of mileage in the concept of jessica jones as somebody who is a detective on the fringes of superheroic crime that bendis used to huge leverage during the first half of the book before we even got to Kilgrave and right. any of the backstory to Jessica Jones. And that's the kind of story, there could be big mileage on it. If you wanted to do it as a prequel, go back two years before the bottom fell out, uh, but before issue one, just do crime stories hmm. with this street-level detective with a little bit of superpowers and con- contacts contacts with low-level Avengers. The yeah. problem is all the low-level Avengers that she talked to in the first few issues of Alias are all now uh, either have had Marvel movies <laughs> or have them scheduled. So I'm not sure who you go to at this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, there's some mileage in it. What's D-Man doing? Uh, D-Man is dead. Right. <laughs> I don't, then again, Secret Wars. Who knows? <laughs> all new, all different D-Man. That's right. Although there's... <laughs> There's a big thing on one of the comics news sites where they suddenly brought brought up, uh, oh, there have been a couple of books in the last couple of weeks where they're talking about the 616 again, even though supposedly it's Prime Earth or Earth Prime or Prime Rib or whatever the hell they're <laughs> calling it. That was a terrible joke. I feel bad about that. You should feel bad about you. I feel bad about me. <laughs> but yeah, I can absolutely see that. But how you, the only way I can see going back to an alias type book, if they want to keep it in current continuity, is have the relationship with Luke fall apart. And at that point you're, you're dealing with a, an incontinuity present bummer. I would imagine cause I'm cynical. The stories will focus on the, in the comics heretofore untold story of Jessica Jones and Trish Walker. 
um, because Trish was sort of filling in for Carol Danvers in the real comic book. <laughs> okay, so sort of a half prequel, half retcon. Yeah. It's not a terrible idea. The problem is if he wants to do something that can be then used in the TV shows, Yeah, there's no precedent in Marvel movies or TV for prequels. Doesn't mean they can't do it. But it's I'm trying to get my head around how you bring this character back when there's been literally 15 years of growth and stability in the character. Yeah. To have a book worthy of that original alias brand. It's it's hard to know. Yeah. I but I'm know. sure that Bendis will find a way to milk that tit. I'm up. <laughs> get that paper, Bendis. Get it. What can I tell you? I'm, I'm a dick on the internet with a microphone. I like to speculate. I'm a geek. It's okay. Geek with a microphone. And I, I do too. I'm just, I'm, the older I get, the more cynical I get. That I understand. And I see this as a, a crass marketing grab because the TV show did well. Ah, I, I have trouble saying that about Bendis. I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'll say it again. It's a crass marketing grab oh, because the TV show went it, well. Look, the, uh, the iron's hot. Mm. Uh, then again, why do that? Because uh, he also, there were various panels, which I didn't get any news from for this because we still haven't finished the first season. But Power Season 2 is coming out. And if you're going to fucking flog the log over a property that is on TV, do it with the one that you own and can get the most paper yeah, from. Yeah, he could get one of those issues out more than once every eight months. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> And now, now he gets two or three out at a time, and then he switches over. And to... And then he's spent. Yeah, the, the United... he's gonna lie down no, for a while. He's not spent. <laughs> he goes over to United States of Murder Incorporated for an issue and a half, and then he dumps out a Scarlet or two. And God, he's gonna be dehydrated. <laughs> that... <laughs> That's a visual. I... I picture him with some form of old yet magic typewriter, and that's the cost that it demands. Feed me, Brian. <laughs> I take it back. This won't this won't be as contentious a show, but it's gonna be horror. Just this is the body horror episode. <laughs> Bendis with his dick in a glory hole <laughs> fucking typewriter. Oh, Selectric, take it. <laughs> <laughs> this typewriter has no ribbon. I have to kill you now. <laughs> All right. That was actually the, that was the biggest Marvel news from browsing through everything. Was just, ooh, more alias. That seems pretty cool. But uh, I'll so, read it. I, I like the books. That was the first comic book I bought you when we, yeah. when we first began. It's very romantic. Uh, hey, I, I only bought it because I thought it was <laughs> the, the, the comic book adaptation. <laughs> Of the TV show like with, the TV uh, show with Jennifer Garner. That's also a very good TV show. But yeah, that was pure animal luck. We, My... I believe we found that at Million Year Picnic in Cambridge, Mass. No, I got it uh, at uh, the little comic store near where I used to oh, live. Oh, really? In southeastern Mass. I thought you Mass. got it in Cambridge. Okay. No, it's uh, that one I, I picked. I distinctly remember picking off, uh, off, of, <laughs> <laughs> off a little rack he had of the Marvel Max and more adult Marvel Knights <laughs> titles that he had. Near the door. Near the so, you door. Know, where the kids come in, the first thing they see. <laughs> Mommy, what's that? Is, is uh, Alias and fucking Punisher. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I just, it was blind luck. That was actually a good book. It, it was. It still is. Yes, it is. But there were many other books announced. ECCC. It sounds, sounds like I'm having a stroke. stroke. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we've been telling jokes to each other for too long. <laughs> this one. 
it's weird. Uh, the this one is better than the sum of its parts okay. because each of the parts I could give a royal fuck about. But it's a dark horse announced that it's going to be a new series written by Tim Seeley with David Walker, uh, Ferdinand Dagino. Dag- what kind of parents would name their kids that? Dagnino, <laughs> I think, with uh, covers by Duncan Fagrido. It's a uh, Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. How has no one thought about doing this before? That is such a gimme idea. I have no idea why nobody has tried to pull those licenses together to make it happen. I can't think of anything I want to read more now. Yeah, and I've never never cared about Tarzan, not even Tarzan the Ape Man back in the early 80s when it had Bo Derek naked and there was no (laughs) internet and that was as good as it was going to get for me. I still didn't care about Tarzan. I'm like, no, I I will get 10. Thank you. (laughs) I have taste for Christ's sake. Sure. <laughs> Keep uh, telling yourself that. And even Planet of the Apes, it's there's a weird generational thing in Generation X. If yeah. you're born like 70 or 71 or later, Planet of the Apes doesn't mean a hell of a lot to you. It's all about Star Wars. Mm. If you're late 60s, you were young enough to catch some of the end of the Planet of the Apes hype. Yeah. So I was on the wrong side of that. Planet of the Apes has never really meant anything to me. I've seen both of the recent ones. I've clearly seen the Charlton Heston one, yeah. and that's you know, that's a classic no matter how you shake it out. Dudes in rubber masks. Yeah. You maniacs. You blew it up. That's classic. You have yeah. to, if you're even remotely a science fiction fan, you have to see the original Planet of the Apes. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I saw the... <laughs> Speaking of Tim Burton getting his hands on properties <laughs> and driving them into the dirt, <laughs> I saw the one with, uh, with Marky Mark as... Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> As brainy astronaut uh, Marky Mark. (laughs) They had some dude standing in for Nick Cage in some of that Kickstarter documentary today who looks suspiciously like Marky Mark. And then I'm like, if there was somebody I would like to see less as Superman than Nick Cage, it would be Marky Mark. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) From Krypton, yo. (laughs) Krypton is not Southie. Krypton is not Southie. (laughs) Just say it with me. does feel like an alien world sometimes, Ugh. but they do have their own system of justice there. <laughs> Krypton has the two hula hoops that loop around each other, and then you're sucked into the Phantom Zone. Southie has uh, has the beach in Quincy. Jesus. And a shallow grave. We're never going to be going to Southie, are we? Uh, <laughs> no, Christ. It's hard to get there. It's a pain in the ass. But... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, this book, uh, apparently the concept is Tarzan is the adopted brother of Caesar, who was the who was the revolutionary ape in the last couple of movies. And I know in at least one or two of the post-Charlton Heston ones, which okay. I don't think I ever bothered to see. Wait, uh, wait, he's adopted? He's adopted into Caesar's family? So the planet of the apes is his forever home? Uh, apparently. <laughs> Look, he was adopted by apes in Tarzan. That's true. He didn't just... He, he wasn't an ape wannabe. He wasn't... <laughs> He wasn't a furry, for Christ's sake. He was trained by the apes, I think. <laughs> like I said, I jerked off to Bo Derek in other movies. I, I don't have the, I don't have everything about the character down, but I think I got the basics. Nope. So, sure. Sure. <laughs> don't make me go see a Tarzan movie, for Christ's sake. No. But yeah, it's so yeah. I guess he was adopted, and apparently they get separated by slave traders. I, I'm guessing they take Tarzan as a slave. Otherwise, it makes the whole thing weird and mm. somehow, yeah, just odd. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that's probably safe to say, just based on having seen the first Planet of the Apes. Yeah, Tarzan's the one who gets the net. Probably. And uh, apparently does the ape hooting version of You Damn Dirty Apes. 
I'm guessing it's legitimately an ape. <laughs> You'd have to. But will he fling feces? Please I, tell me Tarzan flings feces. I hope that's all he does. <laughs> I'd buy ten issues of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then apparently a civil war between ape and man starts as it does. As as it as so these often things does. happen. Yeah. Yeah. Please God. <laughs> please God. <laughs> please God. Tell me Tarzan and Caesar are fighting over a woman because <laughs> I would watch that all day. <laughs> oh dear. I'm sorry. Have I gone too far? No, no. There's some <laughs> sweet Tarzan on ape love making scene. I, I'm making it weird. <laughs> uh, Alan Moore in the forward to the Dark Knight Return says that he read some article that said, "Oh, Tarzan certainly would have engaged in sexual experiments with apes." The Alan Moore clearly is jerking off the weirder shit than I am. Alan Moore, voice of a comics generation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did Lost Girls. Who knows what? Who knows what the sequel's going to be? But uh, yeah, that one's got an actual date. The first issue on that one is going to be September twenty eighth. Okay. Also from Dark Horse, uh, this is another crossover. This one I'm slightly less enthusiastic about. Uh, and this is actually a crossover with IDW Comics and Rebellion Predator versus Judge Dread versus Aliens. I'll read that. Uh, by John Layton and Chris Mooneyham. Yeah, I'll, I'll read that. Uh, <laughs> Apparently the story is there's a scientist in the Meg who's creating his own xenomorphs, and then a predator shows up, and there's Judge Dredd because the Meg, and mm. he's in the title. Uh, look, number one, this is not 1994, so the idea of aliens versus predator has lost pretty much all, after how many dozen comic series from Dark Horse, and then Batman versus aliens, and Superman versus predator, and fucking Alien versus Predator movies that are shitty even compared to Alien Resurrection and Predator 2 with Danny Glover, for Christ's sake. And I, Archie versus Predator. Archie versus Predator was okay. That was kind of an outlier, <laughs> but it was only okay. Um, but yeah, there's only there's only ever been one good X versus Aliens comic, and it's Stormwatch versus Aliens from... Warren Ellis. That was all right. And that was only because he used the crossover as an excuse to kill most of Stormwatch and used that event to launch the authority. So it's the only Aliens crossover that's ever had any stakes on the non-Aliens member of the mm. crossover <laughs> you know, on that kind of basis. And, and the problem is this, this can't possibly have any of those stakes because this is Dark Horse and IDW. It's not 2000 AD. True. You think IDW is going to use the fact that, oh, I got a 2000 AD license to kill Judge Dredd from under John Wagner? So if this is Dark Horse versus IDW or what, crossover, when? I believe I believe it's a team up. I don't believe, team up, I, I don't believe that Mike Richardson <laughs> is, like, war. is like kicking the shit out of Chris <laughs> Ryle. <laughs> All right. So um, give me that license, bitch. <laughs> Chris Ryle and company, if you're listening, when, oh, when do we get aliens versus predators versus my little pony? Oh just, my god. <laughs> That's, please just when. <laughs> I, I, I want I want two pages two pages of Sarah Richards art <laughs> and the rest of it is just red, like the blood has soaked <laughs> to the back of the book. That's all I want out of that. Oh That's god, I want that so much. <laughs> Aliens versus Predator versus my little pony. Yep. We'll go for that. But 
So, I mean, yeah, I mean, between and I've got a, a lot of the Aliens comics from the late '80s, and a lot of the Aliens versus Predator crossovers, and it's just I'm Aliens and Predatored out. I just that, that crossover doesn't really do anything for me anymore. If it really ever did, I mean, I had a certain amount of novelty in the early '90s because yeah. you know. Yeah, hey, you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe now, it's like, wow, the idea they could put these licenses together in Dark Horse Comics, and then with Batman, and... There's a certain level of lightning in a bottle with the Aliens franchise. I mean, at this point, even Ridley Scott can't do his own Aliens well anymore. (laughs) (laughs) This is my impression of Derpy Pony. Get away from her, you bitch! Derp! (laughs) No, we can get through this, it's gonna be fine, because friendship is magic. Ow! Get away from her, you bitch! It's got another mouth inside its mouth. Back away slowly. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'll check that out. I mean, you've been a bigger fan of the IDW Judge Dredd than I have. It's it's a it's a fun read. When uh, Dwayne Swierzynski's run yeah. was pretty solid. This latest one, I've only read one of them, and it's, it's okay. But look, I'm still old school. And frankly, I'm way behind. I try like once every six months or so. I go to the 2080 website or I ask you to for my <laughs> birthday or something and get a bunch of the Judge Dredd complete case files. Right. So I'm a fan of honest to God Judge Dredd from 2080. 2080 is on my pull list. Yeah. I'm way behind on it, but it's <laughs> on my pull list. So yeah, it just feels like this licensed version. Number one, I've got that, that degree of separation of. All right, it's not 2000 AD, so it's a different continuity anyway, so it doesn't matter as much. Which is weird, because the first Judge Dredd comics I ever read were the Andy Helfer DC ones in the 90s, where they tried to do, oh, it's completely out of continuity, but it's still Judge Dredd, and it was right after the movie came out. (laughs) So yeah, my introduction to Judge Dredd proper was via the movie comic that had nothing to do with the movie and nothing to do with the original comic. And yet I still, oh no, it's not 2000 AD. I shouldn't feel that way, but I, I yeah, do. That's but, okay. So yeah, that one's coming the end of July. And we'll probably give it a shot. What the hell? Yeah. And yeah, we're talking about uh, Warren Ellis. Uh, he's going to be continuing on James Bond for Dynamite Comics. Cool. Uh, it's going to continue the current numbering, uh, and it's going to come out in June. So it'll be James Bond 7. The new story is going to be called Eidolon. And the blurb is, after World War II, Army intelligence groups created ghost cells called stay-behinds across Europe in the event of a Warsaw Pact surge. Eidolon is the story of a Spectre stay-behind structure. Ghost cells of Spectre loyalists acting as sleepers until the time is right for a Spectre reformation and resurgence. The time is now. And that was clearly written before Spectre didn't do nearly (laughs) as well. Yeah, that movie was only okay. It was all right. This is weird because I I thought I had a standing order with the owner of my local comic store that if it's a Warren Ellis comic, just give it to me. And he gave us the first issue of James Bond. What's a, what's the story now? Verger or Varger yeah. or something like that. And I liked it. And it's one of those things since I sort of took on faith, I'd get the next one. The rest have kind of passed us by and it hasn't been in there. I really got to talk to him. And, yeah, just remind him. Because, yeah, it's James Bond is another thing like Planet of the Apes. It's... Again, if you're born like 70, 71, that means that you're James Bond. Your James Bond is like your doctor. Whoever was your James Bond when you first saw him winds up being that's who you saw. So my James Bond is Roger Moore. But even that's not even intellectually. It's just sort of God because I recognize Sean Connery is vastly fucking better. I think mine then is is Sean Connery because I think the first one I saw was Never Say Never Again. 
oh my god that's not even real i know <laughs> i think we saw it at the drive-in like so many movies that my parents would take us to because they were cheap oh my god yeah he I, all that's i remember with grace jones right no that's no, what was that one that's uh shit not the living daylights that was the first timothy dalton uh view to a kill all right and that was roger moore <laughs> yeah that was roger moore with grace jones but i'm very confused <laughs> so your bond girl is grace jones oh no wonder i'm the way i am yeah this explains so much but yeah i mean intellectually i even like timothy dalton better than i like roger moore but roger moore was my first bond and because of that he never stuck well because he was also the saint before he was well i never saw the saint before i saw james bond yeah. for christ's sake it was just Look, my first James Bond was Moonraker. Oh, God. So it was, okay, <laughs> this is interesting, and I know I'm supposed to like it, and I've got two or three James Bond books I bought from around then, but Bond has is not part of my DNA the way it is people who are probably just even four or five years younger than I am. Bond was my dad's thing, so yeah, I I was aware of it because he would rent all the movies, but it was his thing. Yeah. Like, Star Trek was his thing. Yeah, it's so it's... Bond is, yeah, it's just not part of my, it's not down in my bones. You know, that said, Skyfall was just a good movie. Yeah. So <laughs> that one, that's the only Bond movie I have on Blu-ray or DVD. I was really excited for Spectre, which is sad. <laughs> that's a shame. But it's all right. Well, well there'll, there'll be other movies. <laughs> but it, yeah, that first issue of Ellis's Bond, I liked it. But yeah, I got I to talk to... The owner of the local store. See if I can pick it up. Supposedly, this seventh issue is going to also correspond with a hardcover of the first arc. Okay. So maybe I'll just wait for that you to come out. Just get the hardcover. So yeah, it's July. It's a couple months. I yeah. can hold out. You can do it. <laughs> I have faith in you. That's a terrible mistake. <laughs> this is one. I, I'm not sure you ever read any of the original. Of... Uh, well, this is Garth Ennis. He's doing a sequel to Red Team for Dynamite Comics. I did not read that. Yeah, it's uh, I I got it all because I'm I think I'm generally a bigger Ennis fan than you are. Although this is not one, it's one that I got and got invested enough in to finish. I like certain Garth Ennis, and then there's others where it's like, yeah, this is good, but I could be reading other things. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, this is one of those weird middle ground ones where you know he does a hell of a war comic. Yeah, it's the the war comics. I'm not a war comics person, so yeah, but this is a cop comic. So it's not even the war comic. It's like, all right, he's got some of that going on, but it was kind of good enough to to keep me going. So I read through the whole thing. But uh, anyway, the, the sequel is going to be called Red Team Double Tap Center Mass. The the blurb. <laughs> <laughs> what is he really talking about? <laughs> well, it's it's a the blurb is one year after the catastrophic events that ended the first series. Uh, Red Team survivors Eddie Mellinger and Trudy. G Giro? What kind of parents would name their kid that? Giro, maybe? G-I-R-O-U-X. Giro. Okay, that's fine. But uh, they're in the doldrums. That's what it <laughs> okay. says. Uh, considered a political liability, the two are kept busy on small-time cases by their suspicious NYD, NYPD commanders, but a chance encounter in the ghetto uh, gives them a chance to get back in the game. Trouble is it means going far beyond the law, which is what almost got them killed the first time around. Now, again, I know you didn't read any of the original ones, uh, I read every issue of the first series. It was a decent little story about a team of cops. I think like a plainclothes cop team, like in that uh, Shades of Grey show mm -hmm. that we have fallen way behind on because it's kind of boring. <laughs> 
the one with Ray Liotta and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. But instead of going road to get some of that drug money, they're just killing criminals. Oh, okay. To who get off on technicalities. <laughs> so, so like they're they're the Ray Liotta. <laughs> they're, they're they're Ray Liotta, but Batman, which is a terrible thing to be. <laughs> but yeah. But the problem is, I'm reading this blurb. I'm like, I read every one of these. I remember it. I remember thinking, nah, this is not bad. I couldn't tell you what the catastrophic events that ended the first series. I don't know what they are. I think they might have killed the wrong guy and got caught. Or maybe one of the rogues went further rogue, like, you know, whole Sarah Palin when she goes into an opium slumber and, like, <laughs> killed somebody on their own. But it's, yeah, I remember liking the original, but nothing really screamed sequel. It felt like, okay, this is complete. Yeah. So and this is just kind of a weird one to to hear about. I like Ennis. Again, I like the first one enough, but yeah, they're really going to have to have a hell of a recap page because yeah. it was good enough to read through, but not great enough where it's like, this is a, you know, even higher end Garth Ennis comic. Hmm. Is the first one out in like a trade? I'm sure it is. Yeah. And I may pick it up, but it's, yeah, it's like on one hand, it's like, all right, Garth Ennis comics. Generally, I love them. And this one is like, well, it's a sequel to the one I only liked, hmm. <laughs> which is still better than a lot of comics, but... If you're a big Red Team fan, <laughs> there's a new one coming. Uh, it's going to be a nine-issue miniseries, which, again, seems kind of bloated from the original, <laughs> but uh, it starts on July 20th. Okay. Oh, uh, what else we got here? Uh, <laughs> this is one, again, I got mixed feelings about just because of the source material. Uh, Van Jensen mm -hmm. uh, is going to be writing The Six Million Dollar Man, Fall of Man, with Ron Salas Art. Well. This will be for Dynamite Comics. It makes sense. He He wrote... Pinocchio Vampire Slayer, right? <laughs> uh, he did, but he also... Which he, means he knows about mechanical boys. That's an angle I hadn't fucking thought of. <laughs> that now it makes more sense to me. <laughs> I mean, it always made sense. I mean, look, the, the guy... I, I like him as a writer. I like the stuff he did on Flash yeah. and Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps. So this one, okay, good writer on a series that I should like. Because I loved the $6 million man as a kid, but this is just a classic, pure example of things you loved as a kid, maybe you shouldn't go back to. Didn't your parents have to counsel you through extreme sadness when the television show went off the air? The, uh, the story, <laughs> the story that, that my mom loves to tell <laughs> is, uh, when I, when I was told as a child that the $6 million man was being canceled. Uh, I was not inconsolable, but sad, and that I went up to my father, and I said, I know they're canceling Steve Austin, but I'll never forget him. Jesus. That's the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's very sad. <laughs> Little Robbie with the doe eyes looking up at your dad. I'll never forget him. Well, I mean... <laughs> he but... stuck his thumb in his mouth. <laughs> No, my brother was the one who sucked his thumb. <laughs> yes, I was five years old, <laughs> maybe six. I mean, if that's why I don't go back and look at those shows. I, it was my favorite show at that age. It's on DVD. I'll never buy it because I've occasionally you come across it way down on the dial at weird times. And if the TiVo gets it, I'll watch it and... It's not a good show. I feel that way about Fantasy Island. <laughs> oh, this is if they would do a Fantasy Island comic. Fantasy Island, at least IDW. Had... Listen to me. 
Fantasy Island had at least implied sex and adultery and things to keep it. it the bionic fucking Bigfoot is Ooh. only a good idea when cocaine is considered a non-addictive work helper. That's, and it, it only works when the average age of your audience member is fucking five or six years old. It's just, it doesn't work. And it, it only worked because it was 1976. And if you were remotely a comic book or superhero fan, you basically had the $6 million man in primetime. You had Shazam on Saturday, if you mm -hmm. wanted live action superheroics, and reruns of George Reeves as Superman. It doesn't hold up. Yeah. Well, it's, all right, isn't this around the same time also you've got your Wonder Woman and your Bionic Woman and all that stuff? Wonder Woman, yeah, would have been right around then. That was 78 or 79. So I think uh, Six Million Dollar Man got canceled before that, but okay. it would have been right around the same time. Bionic Woman actually hung around longer. Because uh, that's spun out of Six Million Dollar Man. Yes. Yeah, Jamie Summers was a former fiancé of Steve Austin's yeah. and uh, was injured in a skydiving accident. And Steve Austin used his <laughs> his pull with the uh, OS, OSA, I think yeah. it was OSA, to, <laughs> to, to get her extra, to get her repaired. <laughs> Except she had a bionic ear instead of a bionic eye. Right, right. Fix my woman. <laughs> <laughs> Fix her. Fix her. Do it. <laughs> Or I quit. This fucking dog got bionics at one point or another. But it's... And the, the thing is, based on this, it looks like Jensen's going to be writing, setting it in 1979. Cool. No, it's not. Because it's just a continue. The $6 million <laughs> man season six comic. Yep. It's I The comic is still on my pull list. But I started getting it when it was the bionic man. And it was an adaptation of Kevin Smith's uh, $6 million man script. Right. Uh, and even there, it was like, uh, it's, it's only okay. Uh, but yeah, when it went to, when it was season six, and even before that, when it became the Bionic Man after the end of Smith's script, there was just too much fan service there. There was Bionic Bigfoot. That Bionic Bigfoot had never made sense. It didn't make sense then. And that was when Bigfoot was in the national consciousness. But that's what we've learned about Kevin Smith today, also watching that, that documentary. He, he will give you, if, if it's a, a popular culture, script he's being asked to deliver he will do all the fan service oh yeah i know and that's fine but the fan service went way too far because i know in the the six million dollar man season six books they brought in mascatron mascatron was only ever a toy yeah there was no mascatron in the six million there was an episode with androids that their faces would come off that they kind of that. that was kind of creepy actually it absolutely was but mascatron was far cooler than that <laughs> The worst part about Mascatron, this is God's truth. When I was uh, going into I, my, uh, when I was five years old, Christmas time, the only thing I wanted for Christmas is Mascatron. <laughs> it's that's all I wanted. And, <laughs> and for you know, when you're five years old, you know, it's not like you're going to take your allowance to go get a ten dollar action figure in mm. 1976. It just doesn't happen. So <laughs> I was so worked up on Christmas Eve, I I was sick. I fucking puked. <laughs> I puked up. I had hot dogs for dinner and puked them up. And for years, I couldn't eat hot dogs. It was not because anything was wrong with the hot dogs. It was just I was so excited to get Mascatron because he could imitate Steve Austin. And <laughs> my parents, knowing I was this excited, they audio taped Christmas morning on an eight-track fucking... They had one of those big console stereos. It had an eight-track player, but it also had a recorder, so they put microphones in. And I've listened to this since... 
And this thing I wanted so much for so long, I was so upset because I thought I could take Maskatron's clothes and put them on Steve Austin and have him change identities, but you couldn't because Maskatron didn't have the fucking button sticking out of his back. The button, you'd push it in, and Steve Austin's right arm would go up so he'd lift the engine block. It's, you couldn't put Maskatron's clothes on him because it would stick on the fucking button. I was devastated. So they have audio of you devastated on Christmas morning. Yeah, but it's on 8-track, so I don't know how we'll ever get it on the show. Please tell me they played that for your first girlfriend. <laughs> uh, no. You, yeah, you know how I know? Because you can call them and they will answer because they're alive. <laughs> so, yes, Maskatron and I, we go way back. That's, wow. Tangent, that... too much? No. <laughs> too much sharing? No. No. The sad thing is, I only put the Hulk theme on the soundboard for when Amanda gave stories about her childhood. I'm trying to think what's worse. Like they've got audio of you, like inconsolable Christmas morning, because your your longed for prize doesn't live up to the hype, or the fact that my parents have black and white photos of me in a roasting pan where they were giving me a bath with a turkey baster next to it. <laughs> Is there more to this story? No, that's, I'll the play whole, the, that's the whole story. I'll play the theme again. It, it, it exists to. as a thing in the world. My mother has them. <laughs> I have to find them before she dies. <laughs> before she figures out how to work a scanner. Yeah. So don't worry. You're safe. <laughs> Those are never going to go anywhere. <laughs> I'm like all goggle-eyed. Like, oh, I'm in a turkey pan. Or <laughs> <laughs> were you 15? Maybe. Maybe. I was, I was tiny as a child. All right. <laughs> So yeah, clearly I got mixed feelings on this. <laughs> I sh- At first, I thought you said they have audio of you horking up hot dogs because that would be really sad. <laughs> oh God, they might. I, I don't think they ever played me the whole tape. <laughs> I think now we know where the cat gets it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why they only buy high-end hot dogs now. It's probably the only way they ever got me to eat a hot dog again. They're good hot dogs. But I would. Uh, Van Jensen is one of the few comics pros I've got his email address. I should email him and see if he'll talk to us about this. Do it to see if he's got the same kind of weird mixed feelings. Do it about the six million dollar man. Do but, it, please. Would you talk to me if you didn't have to? I, I like talking to you. I live with you. Okay. Yeah. And see, you got a weird <laughs> ulterior motive that Van doesn't have. <laughs> Either way, first issue of that is going to be July thirteenth. All right. Uh, all right, so when it comes to uh, Emerald City Comic Con, uh, there was other news, but arguably the big one, uh, Gerard Way, mm-hmm. who was the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, but mm-hmm. also for comics, the author of the Eisner-winning uh, Umbrella Academy. Uh, he's getting his own imprint at DC Comics, where he's going to act as a quote-unquote showrunner. He's going to write some of the books. He's going to oversee other ones. He's going to have books under his supervision. The uh, imprint is called Young Animal, and the tagline is Comics for Dangerous Humans, Uh as opposed to Dangerous Bionic Bigfoot, Dangerous dangerous Alien My Little Ponies. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what's it? Read that whole thing again, really? (laughs) It's called Young, the imprint is Young Animal, Uh and the tagline is Comics for Dangerous Humans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They made an excellent choice with this. Yep. (laughs) I am not sure. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I'm not. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to withhold judgment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, we've 
already talked in this episode about, oh, celebrity writing comics mm. and how that can go wrong. Winding mm. uh, gyre. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so yeah, there's going to be several books. Uh, some of them he's going to be writing. The first book in the imprint will be Doom Patrol, which makes a lot of sense because Way is a clearly he's flat out said he's influenced by Grant Morrison. He mm -hmm. considers Grant Morrison to be a mentor. Doom Patrol was sort of Morrison's big way into DC Comics. Uh, his run is considered classic. I've read some of it. Uh, it doesn't really resonate all that much with me, but uh, I am I'm not a. Doom I don't take Patrol hallucinogens. Thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's give him these D-list characters. He can't fuck up too much. Well, <laughs> uh, a, a quote he gave. Uh, yeah, so yeah, he's going to write that. Uh, art's going to be by Nick Darrington. Uh, and his quote on it is, my take is a brand new take. I would say to me, it feels like a cross between kind of the super strange things that were going around around the time of Grant Morrison and Rachel Pollock. And then it has a lot of the spirit of the original series from the 60s. It also has this indie kind of feel like Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets is a big influence. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't really follow Doom Patrol. It's not a big mm. book in my life. Uh, so there was a promo image that was put out. I don't know everyone on it, but even I recognize Robot Man and fucking Flex Mentalo. And the minute you use Flex, you are flat out channeling Grant Morrison, yeah. which honestly is most of what Way has done in most of his comics. Um, if you read the Umbrella Academy, it really wants to... I like the Umbrella Academy. I've read both series of it. And I'll take your word for it. It's reasonably solid. <laughs> and it was, it was, bless you. It was, it was one of those things that I wasn't going to buy it for a long time. Cause yeah, I didn't, oh God, another dilettante coming from outside thinking he can write comic books. And I don't have any particular feeling about his music and my chemical romance because I'm a grown up with real fucking problems. But. <laughs> But yeah, I, I really enjoyed both of those books. Clearly, they are challenging, uh, not challenging, channeling Grant Morrison, but they're well executed. I enjoy them. So, I mean, I'm trying to keep an open mind about all of this. So, yeah, if that was a good channel of Morrison and he does the same thing here, it could be solid. Okay. The biggest problem I have with that particular book, by the way, is coming in September. I think that's going to be the first one. The biggest problem I have is he's not just channeling Morrison, he's channeling all kinds of early vertigo comics yeah which could really work or really not work uh one of the other books uh, they're talking about this one kind of hits and based on what it is it will get a day in court but it's shade the changing girl uh, uh -huh. yeah written by cecil <laughs> castellucci what kind of parents would name their kid that and uh marley zarcone uh it's gonna have covers by becky clunan it's supposed to remain within sort of the, it says it, the quote is it remains in the paradigm of the Peter Milligan shade series. Uh, now, whether that means it's a sequel or just sort of has the same feel either. I'm a big fan of Milligan's shade. <clears throat> so I'm willing to give it a day in court. On the other hand, I'm thinking Peter Milligan's not dead. You just call him and he'd do it again. Yeah. But has he lost his touch? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Having read his run on Hellblazer when he killed Hellblazer. Yeah, and his Red Lanterns was not, you know, exactly spectacular, but it's not shade. Let him write shade. Do, do we have any idea what Cecil Castellucci has done prior to this book? I am not familiar, and sort of with the timing on how I put together the show prep on this, uh, I did not Google it. No, nah, like I was just a curious. Good journalist. 
Uh, I was busy writing cock jokes. <laughs> well, the, the important things you gotta you gotta take the time for the important things in That's life. That's right. I was I was rehearsing He's stories about. I was yeah. I was rehearsing <laughs> stories about throwing up hot dogs. Of of the Verona Castellucci. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, got the vendetta. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's got possibilities depending on what they do with it. Another title: uh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. <clears throat> that's okay. the title. Sure. Yeah, Way's gonna write that one. Okay. <laughs> um, he's gonna write that along with uh, John Rivera. There's gonna be art from uh, Michael Avon Oming. All right. And I, I like yeah. I like him. Cave Carson. I've never read any of the character, but I know it's like a '60s DC character. I guess he That's has good. A... Just keep giving the kid low test things that he can't <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> I guess he has a cybernetic eye. He's got a bionic eye. Does he have a big button sticking out of his back so he can't wear Mascatron's clothes? I suspect Bigfoot will be involved. I'm asking the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> you know, not the important questions like, who the fuck is he still Castellucci? <laughs> like, does Cape Carson have a button in his back so he can wear Mascatron's clothes? <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. Indeed. Okay. Uh, what else? Uh, another book under the imprint, uh, Mother Panic. Uh, <laughs> uh, th- this this is the most kind of cynical one to me. Uh, it's going to be co-written by Way with Jody Hauser, art by John Paul Leon and Tommy Lee Edwards. It's going to be a Gotham set series with a uh, brand new character, uh, Gotham City heiress and street vigilante Violet Page. Wait, 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 a, 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 a socialite with money that is also a crime fighter in Gotham. Yeah. No, I take it back. I read that when it was Huntress. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Look, here's the problem with this idea. Number one, everybody wants to write Batman. So I get it. It's like, no, we're not going to give you Batman. We'll give you a whole fucking imprint. You don't get Batman. <laughs> okay, I'll come up with another vigilante in Gotham City. Is there anybody who doesn't believe that any street-level vig- street vigilante in Gotham City... Would not wind up wearing a Batman family costume or a pair of bat cuffs the minute Batman fucking found out they existed. Does Mother Panic have a panic cave? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> this whole house is my panic cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just. I don't know how anybody can think they can write a Gotham City vigilante who's not part of the Batman family. They all wind up in the Batman family or canceled. Yeah. Because Batman will Which eventually is... figure it out and he'll either like absorb you, like <laughs> absorb you, like the blob, or yeah, <laughs> or or he'll shut you down and and you'll either stop or be an Arkham. I, I was gonna say Batman family or canceled is the shittiest hitchhiking sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know. This just feels like somebody who yeah, I've got some pull right now, and I'd really like to write Batman. So let me write something in the universe. Because if I write something in the universe, you're gonna have to let me write Batman as a guest star. No, I don't. Well, <clears throat> I don't have to let you do anything. <laughs> look, DC's kind of on the ropes until Rebirth hits, and they hope they get some of their new Fifty Two money back. Yeah, it's. I mean, can this imp? I don't know. Can this imprint possibly work? Can it possibly mean anything? Uh, well, I mean, since it's since it's a subset of Vertigo, it it puts it in like very low stakes. If it doesn't work, it can well, easily it, go away. It's not really a subset of Vertigo. It's a subset of DC, and you know, Mother Panic will be part of the DC universe. It'll be part of continuity. Yeah, for as long as as it proves itself to be viable, and then it can just go right the fuck away again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it feels kind of. 
it's weird. Again, I like the comic stuff he's written that I've read. I like the Umbrella Academy. Uh, yeah, but you're saying he's like derivative of like everybody he's ever read, particularly Grant Morrison. So do we need more wannabes? Yeah, but you know what? He's at least good derivative. Okay. It's it's entertaining. Uh, I like the Umbrella Academy. Uh, that is almost all of his comics work. He did that one issue of Edge of Spider-Verse with... Didn't the, he do like the Dead Boys Detective Agency or some no, shit that, like that? No, that wasn't him. He did do a Vertigo book called Killjoys. Okay. Which, again, I didn't read it because it's the sequel to a My Chemical Romance concept album. And, <sighs> again, grown-up grown up problems. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't who pick did, up on it. Who did that de- detective book then? Oh, there have been a million, right. you know, inspired I'll, I'll by later. the Sandman <laughs> universe. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about inspired by the Sandman <laughs> universe coming up with a couple of the other books that we, we got to talk about. But I mean, yeah, it's, he's doing this full nineties vertigo and yeah, okay. Th- those are great books to do. But again, you want a Grant Morrison book. Grant Morrison's still with DC. Yeah. Peter Milligan is still around. But also, he's biting off an awful lot for a guy who's never written one monthly comic, let alone three or four. Take advantage of his youth and vitality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, he's historically moon moonlighted, moonlit. Moonlit. In comics. He's a musician. Uh, I don't know the state of his band or his solo career or whatever he's doing right now, but he would do the Umbrella Academy in between things. The third arc of Umbrella Academy... I think it was announced in 2013 and he said yeah. it's going to it's really going to take a long time to come out cuz I'm working on this other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, for a guy who just sort of moonlights in, in it, they're solid comics, but at the same time, okay, I'm going from this thing that I have done in my spare time between my day job, you know, to then say I'm going to write three books. I mean, yeah, to, not to beat on Kevin Smith, but Spider-Man and the Black Cat, the evil that men do, three years in between issues uh, four and uh, three and four. I, I don't I don't keep up with uh, popular music the way that I used to. Perhaps uh, my chemical romance is in a bit of a lull. Uh, <laughs> it sucks getting old. <laughs> it's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. That was purely an excuse to use that. I haven't used that one for a while. I mean, they're no Fallout Boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. I don't know anything <laughs> about that band either. But to play devil's advocate, okay, I pay no attention to this guy's music, but because of that, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the arc of that career. But conversely, I've watched Kevin Smith go from Clerks and Chasing Amy to Tusk and Yoga Hosers, <laughs> and <laughs> I have never read anything by by way. That has anything as abominable as Batman and his little fucking bladder spasm that he had in the widening gyre. Yeah. So it's He's way got that going for him. Way has not written many comics. The one I've read, the ones I've read have been good, but it's still it feels a little weird for DC to be like, yeah, man, here's the keys to your whole imprint. Robert Kirkman didn't get an imprint at Image until he had a TV show under his <laughs> name. I don't know, DC, it's not like they haven't been making questionable choices with other other parts of their company, so maybe this was just a, eh, let's see if this works, fuck it. <laughs> hey, look, it's it's a potential for however many hundreds of thousands of My Chemical Romance fans who follow the guy on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. <laughs> uh, we don't know. <laughs> Again, we're not the target audience no. for his music. No. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, look, it's a potential way in. 
yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try his stuff out. I, I bought the Umbrella Academy. Literally, it was I was in the mood for something I'd never read before. And I couldn't find anything at the comic store. And I figured, fuck it. I'll get this book <laughs> and at least get it out of the way. And I'm like, oh, this is not bad. So. All right, then. But yeah, it just <laughs> feels weird. Yeah, three miniseries and one issue for Marvel. And yeah, here's the keys to the van. <laughs> Maybe he's got naked pictures of Jim Lee. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the main stuff that I got uh, from Emerald City. Okay. Uh, there was a bunch of stuff that came out of Image Expo. All of these uh, are obviously image books. Yes. The, the first one, another one I don't know how the fuck to feel about, uh, Moonshine by Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Rizzo. So it's the creative team behind 100 Bullets. Okay. Moonshine, uh, this is, again, the blurb about the book, which made me go, ooh, and then ooh. <laughs> but uh, it's set during the Prohibition era, deep in the backwoods of Appalachia. Again, Southern Bastards just taking over comics. Uh, Doesn't he already have like a I Want to Be Southern Bastards book going? Uh, the American Murder. Yeah. Something. It was one that you wanted to review. Yeah, and it was It didn't it was even right. stick to my head. But, uh, <laughs> it's all right. But yeah, we talk about things that are derivative and Southern yeah. Bastards is already out yeah, there. Derivative and doesn't stick to my brain. <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, not Southern Bastards, the other one. But, I know, I'm just saying. But uh, anyway, this tells the story of Lou Perlo, a city slick torpedo. It's in quotes. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't know what a torpedo is. Um, uh, anyway, he's set from New York City to negotiate a deal with the best moonshiner in West Virginia, one Hiram Holt. Lou figures it for a milk run. How hard could it be to set up moonshine shipments from a few ass-backwards hillbillies? What Lou doesn't figure on is that Holt is just as cunning and ruthless as any New York City crime boss, and Lou's in way over his pinstripe head. Wait, wait, wait. Southerners have learning? Uh, don't be that way. We've got, we've got plenty of Southern listeners who are fine, upstanding. It was it was an easy joke, and I apologize to our Southern listener. That it's <laughs> we've got more than one. <laughs> Christ's sake, <laughs> gonna get us killed. I sometimes have to go to the South. <laughs> Billy, I'm sorry. Oh, come on now. <laughs> anyway. Not only will Holt do anything to protect his illicit booze operation, he'll stop at nothing to protect a much darker family secret. A bloody, supernatural secret that must never see the light of day. Or better still, the light of a full moon. Dun, dun, dun. I have no idea what that secret could possibly be. <laughs> Everybody be cool. You be cool. No, different kind of monster. <laughs> Look, on one hand, this is Azarello and Rizzo back on a crime comic of sorts. Yes. On the other hand, this is Azarello getting fucking clever with the meaning of the word moonshine and not only giving us a fucking werewolf crime comic that nobody was screaming for, <laughs> but giving away the entire fucking farm and the solicit. Yeah. I mean, it's, Although, to be fair, I wouldn't have picked it up until you told me that there was probably going to be werewolves in it. Now I'm like, all right, I'll read it. <laughs> See, I, I, was, I was the opposite. I'm like, they're doing an honest-to-God crime comic. The, yes, give me that. Oh, really? <laughs> Why are you going to fuck around? That's not a bad story. City versus country, you know, back in the Prohibition days. There's something With to werewolves. do that. With werewolves. Why? Yay. All this, <laughs> all this does, it reminds me of all the Batman versus Superman jokes. <laughs> oh, Superman would wipe him out in 10 seconds. Who wins in a battle between a werewolf and Tommy from Goodfellas? The fucking werewolf. We already know who wins. Unless somebody has, like, silver bullets in their Tommy gun. Oh, yes, as one does. 
<laughs> and why wouldn't they? I don't know. <laughs> There's reasons. It, silver doesn't. Silver tends to tumble when it comes out of the. I read somewhere you can't really make silver bullets. Well, you know, then maybe they'll go with the iron version of of the mythos. I thought that's more vampires or some shit. I don't know. Either way, garlic, garlic bullets. And- that's <laughs> definitely vampires. <laughs> Vampire. Uh, never mind. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I got a quote from Azarello on this. The idea for Moonshine's been bubbling around between Eduardo and I for years. It's exciting as about to burst forth, but if fans think they know what to expect from us, then they ought to think again. I don't know. I expect a werewolf that uses double meanings of certain words, not only to kill people from the city, but to be a real dick about it while he's doing it. Sure, why not? So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this thing had me until werewolves, and you're really going to have to stick the landing on that for it to be just be, no, you had a good crime comic going. You really, then again, maybe he'll do a double blind, like a hundred bullets. The whole thing about hundred bullets when it first came out was, oh, the whole thing is Mr. Graves and the briefcase and you can kill whoever you want. It's just going to be an anthology story. And then it became something very different. So if you can hook me in with the werewolf thing and then it just sort of becomes a crime story. Yeah, you got me. Otherwise the werewolf thing has to, you know, you can't be doing no. Wolfman meets Abbott and Costello, motherfucker. You gotta be doing American <laughs> Werewolf in London level shit to get my dollar. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure that Mr. Hazarello will take that under advisement. Uh, he hasn't listened to me yet. <laughs> I start now. Uh, that one is out in October. Okay. Just in, Just time, in time for, for Halloween. Halloween. There you go. Uh, all right. What else do we have here? Pause for beer. Gee, Uncle Rob, what else came out of the Image Expo? Well, settle down and fetch your Uncle Rob some more bourbon. Uh, we also have The Black Monday Murders by Jonathan Hickman and Tom Coker. Mm. Uh, again, we will go straight to the blurb. Uh, the Black Monday mur- Murders is classic occult indoctrination. Another occult book. I know. It's everywhere. Uh, also out in the fall. So, mm. good timing. Uh, classic occult indoctrination where the secret schools of magic are actually clandestine banking cartels who control all of society. A hidden world. Where vampire Russian oligarchs, black popes, I think black popes mean evil popes and not literally black popes, uh, enchanted American aristocrats and hitmen from the International Monetary Fund. So the Illuminati. Angry accountants with shuriken and machine guns. Okay. But this Uh, is a Hickman book. So while this sounds like an excellent pitch... Yes, where they all work together to keep all of us in our rightful place. Of course. And each issue contains world-expanding bonus content. Oh, no. Like cash money. No, he would not pay us to read. Uh, <laughs> like maps. Maps? Oh, it's like cash, only shitty. Maps? Maps. Wait, maps. wait. So I can I could, on my own, with this map, turn this into my very own like role-playing game or something? Uh, perhaps. I could, I could build, like, dungeons. If and- you're wicked bored and have no friends, you could probably <laughs> do that. <laughs> and I have better shit to do. I've got maps. I've got maps. Oh, yeah. Now put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. Man, woman, whatever. I got maps <laughs> and hostages, <laughs> but mostly maps. But yes, for your dollar, you'll get maps and corporate organization charts. Oh, thank God. Decoded Apocrypha and stock tips to die for. Decoded Apocrypha? Can't they just give me a decoder ring? Why do they have to do it for me? Because it's not 1950, God. a lot of free time <laughs> I'd like to fill. 
Ladies and gentlemen, maps and encoded apocrypha. Thank God. <laughs> Look, what this comes down to is Hickman has, uh, he's done with Secret Wars. He's going back to create her own stuff. And the guy likes to build worlds. He does. He goes nuts building complete worlds. That's why we have maps. Exactly. It's, yes. That's organizational <laughs> charts. It's yeah. In a nutshell, this is Jonathan Hickman doing some Jonathan Hickman world building with some Jonathan Hickman attention to the smallest of Jonathan Hickman details and a pile of Jonathan Hickman characters displaying the stereotypical Jonathan Hickman motivations. Advance plot now. <laughs> that's fine. That's that's part of the problem with his creator own stuff. The world, the characters are not even creator own stuff. I've talked about this with Fantastic Four, the Marvel stuff that he's done, and, and I call his writing bloodless because it, yes, intricate worlds and plots that work like Swiss clockwork, and the characters exist to move within that clockwork. It's it's rare yeah. that there's a Hickman character where I'm like really believe he's doing anything but getting to the next point so the next domino can fall. Right. You know, right. He, he builds spectacular worlds and plots that, oh my God, he got from point A to point Z. I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> the problem is to get from point A to point Z, between Q and R, some dude, whether it's in his interests or not, has to go to a particular place and say a certain thing. Yeah. And there are people who love that. There's certainly immersive books if you want to read about alternate universes, there's almost nobody better. If it's about the characters, it just does not work for me. Yeah. I will try this because it doesn't mean I hate Hickman. I love the Manhattan Projects. But that's kind of an outlier. Yeah. It's going to be the right story to immerse yourself within. Yes. I don't that, know, though. Russian vampires. Oligarch vampires. Oligarch. <laughs> yes. I might be down for some oligarch vampire stuff. Great. Bella Lugosi versus Donald Trump. I'd watch the shit out of that, actually. <laughs> Just call it that. Just call it that and make it four issues with no dialogue. Just hand it over to, like, Klaus Janssen or Frank, some real action fucking artist. And just, the, to, it'll be like stick theater figure back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Just constant fucking battle of Bella Lugosi versus Donald Trump. That would be awesome. And at the end, the werewolf from fucking Moonshine can come out and eat them both. <sighs> Fighting back the urge to make lots of Make America Great Again vampire jokes. <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> make America. He's a vampire. Uh, you let him in. He came over the border. He's sucking our women dry. <laughs> <laughs> and not in that good way. Hey, now. Anyway. Gonna build the wall. It'll be made out of garlic. Uh, stop. Let's just keep garlic, going. Yeah, okay. Uh... I know garlic works on vampires. I know that one. Yes, garlic does work on vampires. <laughs> no, and never mind. There's a joke I keep trying to go to, and I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. No, I'm not going to. Okay. Uh, this one, uh, uh, Isola, Isola. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Uh, by uh, Brendan Fletcher, uh, who writes uh, Batgirl of Burnside. Yes. And uh, Carl Kershaw. Uh, this is a very weird one in that, I kind of like the idea behind it, even though there's some holes in it. All right. But I'm not a big fan of Batgirl of Burnside. So I was like, eh. But anyway, yes, the summary, Isola. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Is set in a mystical land where the queen's brother enacts a treacherous plot to transform her into a tiger. All right. 
on one hand, interesting and fairy tale like. On the other hand, if I had the ability to transform my enemies into some form of animal, I probably would not start with one that has stealth walking, giant stabby teeth, and razor blade fists. It's just a thought. Maybe start with something a little smaller. Yeah, that seems kind of like out of all of the creatures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a goat, maybe, or uh, yeah. a lamekin. Yeah, fat bunny. Fat bunny. <laughs> but, uh, Puppy. Any- <laughs> Puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey. No, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a Lovecraftian creature. <laughs> that's terrifying. Don't do that. Uh, anyway, the captain of the guard, a woman of great skill, brings swift and lethal vengeance. Unaware, the wicked prince alone has the power to reverse the spell. The two women, one on two legs, one on four, must undertake a perilous journey halfway across the globe to the fabled island of Isla. What kind of parents would name their kid that? The gateway to the underworld where they hope to find the spirit of the queen's late brother and return her to human form. Mm. Yeah, apparently the the writer and uh, Fletcher, they've known each other. uh, No, Fletcher's the writer uh, and the... Uh, Carl Kershaw, they've known each other for a long time because the, the quote from Fletcher on this is Carl and I have been working toward creating uh, Iole. What kind of parents would name their kid that? For more than 30 years, no joke, we met in elementary school, uh, discovered and obsessed over comics together and pushed each other to become the kind of storytellers we admired. And I give them credit because if I tried to release the comic book ideas that I came up with in elementary school, Wolverine would spend every month stabbing Cyclops in the junk. <laughs> Well, people would read that. Yeah, while well, fucking Jean Grey. And people would read that. With a very, very interesting as idea as to what fucking Jean Grey actually looked like. <laughs> it was scissoring, wasn't it? Uh, I was eight. <laughs> I, I knew that something got squished somewhere. <laughs> That's a broad realm to it interpret. It really is. It really is. Um, I mean, this is touchy because it's, it's a different kind of comic. Uh, which I kind of like the idea of now and again. Obviously, you know, we read this. We're mostly superhero action. Or at least I'm mostly a superhero action crime. Kind I of. like I like my horror novels and and horror comics. Yeah, so I mean, at least this is something different. But yeah, it's I'm not the biggest Fletcher fan. I'm not a big fan. Neither of us are of mm. Batgirl of Burnside or Gotham Academy. But then again, I'm not the target audience for those. If he's been doing those because he has an affinity for younger readers, there could be something else here. Maybe this is another one that is just, uh, okay, I'm I'm not the, the person for it. At least it sounds like, okay, this is something different and kind of yeah. fail ta- fairy tale-like. Sure. But <laughs> you're my enemy. I will turn you into a killing machine. Thanks. That's, that's Somebody awesome. Somebody hasn't thought their evil plan through. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> it's I, like the, when they were in elementary school, they heard Maneater on the radio and said, wait a minute. Yeah, that's a great That's going to be an awesome comic book. <laughs> I will turn my enemy into a man-eating tiger. You're an imbecile. Don't do that. That's Don't not a thing that. you want to do. That's not very good. You take your comic writing advice from Holland Oates, you deserve <laughs> everything that happens to you. <laughs> oh, God. Does that explain Gerard Way? Does that- <laughs> I don't know. Let's go to a con and ask him. <laughs> what could go wrong? Uh, Why is security throwing me out? <laughs> Stop touching me. Uh, and, Mommy. And, anyway, uh, <laughs> Isola. What kind of parents would name their kid that? That should be out in spring of 2017. Okay. So there's some time before that one. Uh, there's another one I feel uh, kind of up in the air about Seven to Eternity uh, by Rick Remender and Jerome Opeña. Uh, I go straight to the blurb. Uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay. 
Garillus Sulm. What kind of parents would name their kid that? The God of Whispers, anyway. Uh, he's a Machiavellian warlord who holds sway everywhere in the world of Zal. He's an omnipresent, uh, he's spread an omnipresent paranoia to every corner of the kingdoms. Okay. One of his spies hides in every house, every family, every hall, every toilet. I added that one. Spreading mistrust and fear. If he hides in my toilet, he deserves everything that happens to him. <laughs> I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> It's the closest I could come on short notice to hiding in the <laughs> toilet. Uh, anywhere, uh, Adam must choose between joining a hopeless band of magic users in their desperate bid to free their world of the evil god's burden or give in to the god of whispers' promise of salvation and safety. Hmm. Yeah, this one's tough because Remender, he's really hit or miss with me. And when he's hit, it's solid, but it doesn't happen a lot. Like, I will stand by deadly class. Okay. And I will argue with anyone that's a solid book. Part of that, I think, is for me, it's it's grounded. It's set in the 80s. I recognize that time period. And it's very much an earthbound comic. Some of his stuff is not. Like Black Science, I know that a lot of people who are big fans of that book, it didn't do anything for me. He had probably among the best first couple of issues of The Punisher during Dark Reign that then ended in Frankencastle. Yeah, we really can't let Frank Frankencastle go. Yeah, and there, <laughs> I get what he was doing. A dude who came from indie comics and said, yeah, people want, you know, fine, do big, crazy fucking ideas. It's the Punisher, dude. He's from Vietnam and he shoots people. Frankencastle. Where you get Frankencastle from that, I'm not sure. Razz of and Frankencastle. <laughs> That's... <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, when he hits, he hits me hard, and I really like it. Uh, when he doesn't, it just sort of fades on me. So this one, again, it's it's a crapshoot. It does not feel like a grounded in earth kind of book. Nope. So uh, it may move more toward the I don't know end of the spectrum, but I will give it a shot. Okay. It's like I said, when he's solid, he's really solid. I will give his first issue or two of almost anything a try. That seems reasonable. All right, that will be out this fall. This one I will definitely try and almost definitely go all the way through. Kill or Be Killed by Ed Brubaker uh, and Sean Phillips. Want? Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, going back to, uh, what was the first one? Before Criminal. The one that- Sleeper. Sleeper, yeah. Which I know you're a huge oh, fan. Oh my God, it's one of my favorite books ever. Yeah. So Kill or Be Killed is the story of a troubled young man who is compelled to kill bad people and how he struggles to keep a secret as it slowly begins to ruin his life and the lives of his friends and loved ones, both a thriller and a deconstruction of vigilantism. Killer be killed. Unlike anything Brubaker and Phillips have done together in their long partnership. I am psyched for this. Book. Well, if it's unlike anything they've done, then it's crap. Oh no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no. It's look, I would read them doing Stephen King's fucking shopping list for at least. An yeah. issue or two. <laughs> and I do think it's kind of interesting that, just a couple of years after Brubaker was one of Mark Marvel's like 2013, 2014 architects mm. and driving the entire Marvel universe. Now he's doing a deconstruction of masked vigilantism. <laughs> cause I mean that, and he's definitely doing the idea of, okay, if there were real masked vigilante, cause it's a dude in a hoodie with a ski mask and a gun. Yeah. You know, it's the Punisher by way of zero training. It looks like and just, I'm going to go shoot a guy and then try and get away with it. <laughs> Like Bernard gets with just a little bit more stick to Yeah. That's not a thing anybody wants. But... Bernard gets on Adderall. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to stay on this subway. <laughs> but uh, I found my place. Yeah. I mean, a, a guy who brought the Winter Soldier back and wrote Captain America, kind of tearing down vigilanteism. Now, of course, I'm going to fucking try that. Yeah. Now, if, if only to see, you know, show me on the doll where the bad Marvel touched you. <laughs> <laughs> or you don't want to do this shit anymore. You're going to finally put paid all of it. <laughs> nice. Uh, that one is going to be out this summer. Uh, this one I thought was interesting, mostly because of the editorial choice. Although it does seem like an interesting book, although it's not by people who've done comics before. It's written, uh, it's called Surgeon X, written mm-hmm. by documentary filmmaker Sarah Kenny with artist John Watkiss. But uh, the money shot of the announcement is it's being edited uh, by former Vertigo editor-in-chief uh, Karen Berger. Huh. Uh, so it's uh, the story uh, breakdown on this set against the backdrop of an antibiotic apocalypse in near-future London. Uh, Rosa Scott, a brilliant and obsessive surgeon, becomes Surgeon X, <laughs> a vigilante doctor who uses experimental surgery and black market drugs to treat patients. But as Surgeon X, Rosa Sir. Rosa soon develops a godlike complex, deciding who will live and who will die. That never happens in the medical community. <laughs> ultimately, Lies. ultimately, she believes that to survive in this compromised world, her own warped moral code is the one she must follow, even if it endangers those closest to her. Okay. <laughs> it sounds, it, it's an interesting concept. Hmm. You know, a, a, a vigilante, a masked doctor. <laughs> I think I last saw in a Warren Ellis con. I think I saw in Stormwatch. Hi, I'm your doctor, and I'm drunk out of my mind. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's this is mostly kind of interesting, like I said, for the, the editorial choice. Because, you know, again, it's, a, okay, we've got a, a non-comic writer writing a comic book, but it makes it interesting because... Uh, Berger has not been back uh, since she left Vertigo two, three mm. years ago at this point. And the funny thing is this announcement came out on Wednesday, which was two days before the Vertigo Comics panel. Yeah, it makes you wonder. <laughs> yeah, at Emerald City Comic Con. And there was a rumor going around that you know we were talking about Sandman-inspired books. Uh, there was a rumor going around that there was a new line of those that were supposed to be announced at Emerald City. But yeah, at the Vertigo panel at Emerald City... Nothing like that was mentioned hmm. beyond some of the stuff at the the young animal imprint. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> Surgeon X is going to be released this fall. I'll give it a, a day in court. Yeah, it's it it's an interesting concept. Again, it's somebody who doesn't write comics writing a comic. Sometimes that goes very well with a a heavy hand from an experienced editor. It sounds like. That is definitely a positive <laughs> in its in its favor. Whereas the the young animal imprint sounds like it's nuts. You got people; they're just doing stuff. <laughs> it's wacky. I'm not sure I'd go that far. Doom but... Patrol. It's wacky. <laughs> <laughs> Doom Patrol. Please don't say that to me again. <laughs> that cut right to my soul. <laughs> that, that would hurt badly. This way, kid. He's just he's just un. Predictable. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Christ's sake. Look, I'm dancing crazy. 
All right, and uh, yeah, the last book uh, that came out of uh, the Image Festival, yes. if you will, uh, The Divided States of Hysteria, uh, mm. written and art by Howard Chaikin. Oh, cool. So uh, I've got a soft spot for Chaikin, so. So how many dicks will be in this one? Oh, uh, what did I figure <laughs> out was in the first issue of. <laughs> First issue of Black Kiss 2, 52 dicks. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, ho- hopefully slightly uh, fewer than 52 <laughs> dicks. Uh, yes, the divided states of hysteria. It's set in the aftermath of a dirty bomb. All right, maybe 58 dicks. <laughs> dirty bomb that uh, wipes New York City off the map. And uh, in what will come to be known as the Second America Civil War, uh, Second American Civil War will shatter the domestic landscape in isolated pustules hmm. of violence. And a team of five private contractors is charged with stemming the tide of rage and bringing the bombers to justice. Now, the promo image that was released with this uh, had a little thing that actually described those contractors. And I'll quote <laughs> directly from that image. And the only hope we've got is four serial murderers and the Central Intelligence case officer who didn't see it coming. We are well and truly fucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. And look, I've got a general soft spot for Howard Chaikin. He's got fascinations and things that he, you know, look, I read Black Kiss and Black Kiss 2, mostly because I like his art. Yeah. You know, lesbian sex vampires, you know, I'm an all, I'm a red-blooded American male, but that only goes so far. You gotta Uh, have werewolves. Werewolves? (laughs) (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) You ruin things. Why do you ruin them? I'm a ruiner. You're a ruiner. But yeah, when it comes to this guy, look, I've got all the issues of American flag. I have even all the issues of American century. Good Lord. You know, I got a soft spot for Chicken when he tries to write something big about being an American. So this one I'm definitely going to check out. Yeah, no, it sounds, I'd, I'd, I'd like to read that. Yes, this one should be out sometime this winter. Cool. So yeah, that's all the big stuff out of the conventions this weekend that at least caught my eye. All right. You know, certainly check the other big comic book sites, you know, if there's... <laughs> Anything, oh, I heard about this, and, you know, we've got our own interests. Although, be careful of those. The one thing you can trust is at least Crisis on Infinite Midlives has not sold out for eight figures. This is true. <laughs> we have not. But if anybody is interested. Yeah. <laughs> one of the big inside baseball news items of the week was comic book resources got sold to some Montreal online publisher for like eight figures to which I could only say, Jesus Christ, there's fucking money in this shit. Yeah, I was going to say, websites are still considered that relevant. We're, we're doing things wrong, I mean, for good God's on sake. them. I know they've been around forever, but damn. So, at the very least, when you get your news for us, you know, we're not bought and paid for. Although we are for sale. Kinda. Kinda. <laughs> Can be bribed with booze. Yes. <laughs> Why should we buy your organization? Well, for a $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. Gib. Gib. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, you want to talk about a couple of comic books and then we'll yes. wrap this up? Which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's talk about Black Panther. All right. Uh, Black Panther number one, uh, written by uh, Tanahisi Coates. Coates. Yep. Uh, shit, I put my soundboard away. I can't do the sound. Yeah, okay. yeah. uh, and art by Brian Stelfreeze. So yeah, it's after Secret Wars and Wakanda, but it's also after Avengers versus X-Men, meaning that Namor still kicked the shit out of Wakanda. Hmm. Uh, Thanos and Doom also spent a little time there not taking names, if you get my drift. <laughs> uh, T'Challa is back as acting king, but the company is this simmering stew of just 
pain and rage from previous events. Now the Panthers trying to rule as if nothing has changed, but there are elements that are playing on public sentiment to take advantage of resentment against the throne. Uh, and the average person in the street is just trying to live in a country where the law seems to be more important than maybe actual justice. Uh, also, there are twin bat ladies, <laughs> which is kind of neat. They're called Midnight Angels. Sure. They're bat ladies. <laughs> They're the bat girl twins. <laughs> None more bat girl, but two. Do they also have double mint? <laughs> double your pleasure. <laughs> double your justice. Double your ass kicking. <laughs> so... Yeah, all right. If you're not aware, uh, well, all right, let's start with, I think I may have liked this book a little bit better than you did, and it took me a couple of read-throughs to really start to hook into what I think is is going to become themes of this book, at least in the short term. All right. So what did what are, what are your initial thoughts, Amanda? Yeah, it was okay. All right, <laughs> awesome. No, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really follow Black Panther, um, the the last time I think I read any sort of extended Black Panther run was during Civil War or the fallout from Civil War where he was in Hell's Kitchen in Daredevil's place. <laughs> yeah, uh, the David Liss. Yeah. That, that was <laughs> solid with uh, Francesco Francavilla right. art. Yeah. yeah. That was really good. That's about the last time I, I, I read Black Panther on any kind of extended basis. Um, but even that kind of lays into it because he was away from Wakanda, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find his own salvation in taking over for Daredevil and being the guardian of Hell's Kitchen. So it sort of ties in, but you're right. That, at this point, that was four or five years ago. Yeah, I mean, what I... What I, I, I am not a student of um, African geopolitics. I get the sense that Coates is trying to kind of bring some real-world stuff in there with strife in African countries well, and how terrorism impacts and undermines... Yeah, um, and, established regimes. And yeah, if you're listening and you're not aware, Coates, he's a journalist. That's yeah. his writing background. This is his first comic writing. Yes. And and his beat tends to be racial issues. Yes. So I think you're absolutely right. So so I think if I was more up on that, I might find a little bit more to to sink my own teeth into with this. But I'm curious where it's going to go. I What I'm seeing here is... You know, someone who was born into a, a royal family and is is sort of treating his people with that sort of weird paternalistic thing that royals have towards the commoners, where they don't really understand that they're not puppies. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's definitely there. <laughs> and and so, in the meantime, the populace has uh, started to, or has not started. They have lost faith in their their monarchy so there's rumblings and why can't we be a democracy but, 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 like, well, but it's but the pot is being stirred by this outside force that doesn't necessarily seek to have their best interests at heart either so yeah we'll we'll see how that plays out yeah the, the, what we're playfully calling the uh, the bat twins <laughs> <laughs> um i'm interested in them because there's a whole punisher vibe going on there and i'm down with that uh <laughs> I, I can see that, but I definitely saw straight up Batman with that. Yeah. You know, straight up that you know, there is no justice and therefore we have to take it into our own hands. Well, because one of them like killed a dude. So that's where I went Punisher with that. That was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Marvel is always going to try to be the world outside your window. And in the world outside your window, you get the Punisher and not the Batman. Yeah. So, yeah, you've, you've got a point. But I mean, for God's sake, they've got wings and cowls and oh, yeah. they're dressed in black and they're fucking bat ladies. Although there's uh, an interesting thing that occurred to me is they talk about there's a there's an extensive about amount of uh, back matter in the back of the book. 
about, you know, character design and you know, where they're coming from with some of this. And they talk about, um, Brian Stelfree says it's, it's long been known that vibranium absorbs sound and kinetic energy, but that energy stays locked within the vibranium itself. Wakandan scientists can tap into this stored energy and use the vibranium as a limitless power source. And this powers all Wakandan technology. So there's this whole idea that you've got this, this source that absorbs all this energy. How much of that energy is emotional? And how much might that be feeding into the turmoil that Wakanda is currently experiencing? That's not a thing that had occurred to me. And that's not a bad idea. And that could be a way that this goes. Yeah. Because, yeah, if it's amplifying... Uh, not distrust, but... Uh, Disenchantment and negative feelings. Yeah. <laughs> or issue two goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was kind of a tricky read because I think that, and I'm speculating here, I think Coates right now has more to say about Wakanda than T'Challa. Yes. I mean, this, like I said, this is his first comics writing. Uh, and in a lot of ways that shows because most of... T'Challa's characterization and motivations are in captions. Back in the day, they would have been thought balloons, yep. but they're internal dialogue captions. And I went through and I counted. T'Challa has seven actual word balloons of speech in this issue. All right, so he made scale. Yeah. <laughs> he's got 28 captions showing what he's thinking. Yeah, and, and it, the first rule of writing is uh, show, don't tell. Yeah, so at least with, with this character, at least what he's thinking is very much the opposite. It's tell, don't show. Yep. Which, you know, for a guy who's a journalist, you know, who does opinion pieces in a lot of his stuff, that I understand where that comes from, mm. and hopefully that's a thing that he can overcome. Uh, it's a little better for other characters, but even with, with those, I found he used storytelling gimmicks to force those people into situations where even though it's not thought balloons, they're forced to just say what they're thinking mm. as opposed to showing through action. You know, the, the trial of, uh, Akina, who was one of the bat ladies right. with, uh, Ramonda, uh, who's, uh, the stepmother of T'Challa, uh, presiding over it and Akina's partner, Io, and I, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing any of those right. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Found the button again. Um, <laughs> You know, acting as the defense, it that forces a ready-made structure where the closing arguments and the sentencing force the characters to talk about what they're thinking as opposed to showing it. Right. Now, conversely, at least when we read what T'Challa's thinking with the thought captions, at least he's kicking ass in a riot. So there's some visual shit going on there, yeah. even though he's still telling more than showing. But in the trial, it's just literally people standing around talking about their feelings. But at least... He's smart enough to give that a structure where that makes sense, as opposed to, you know, what people argue about the worst of Bendis, which is, you know, eight pages of people talking around a table. So, so you would hope that the editors would perhaps, in in future notes, point out that there could be more showing and less telling. Hopefully, because the editor on this is Will Moss. Yeah. Hopefully we will we will see that. It's a, look, he's a first time comic writer, and I didn't expect to see Frank Miller nineteen eighties esque visual no. storytelling. Uh, Although I like Stelfreeze's style. Oh, the the art is absolutely fine. It's a yeah. good looking book. So yeah, it's it looks good. The action that's there it makes sense. It's easy to follow. I don't think I had any problems with the visual storytelling in the book. What I really liked about the book, even though, yeah, we're getting more tell, don't show in a lot of places, 
are the ideas about Wakanda. And that could be where the book is really interesting or falls all over itself because it's not paying as much attention to the title character of the book. Yeah. The book, I mean, the book is not called Wakanda. The book is called Black Panther. Right. So, I mean, we've got the beginnings here of an examination of this idea of this technologically advanced society, but it still answers to a monarchy and asks the question of what happens when the monarchy cannot defend the average citizen yeah. who is working and toiling to support this monarchy. Do you get a revolution automatically? You know, and it's, it's a, for 50 years of Marvel history, I don't think I've ever seen a story and granted I've not read all of them, but where Wakanda is challenged internally. I've not read enough to, to effectively answer that. Yeah, you get I, the impression based on what's written that it's been stable until the recent events that laid it low in Avengers versus X-Men and Civil War. Not Civil War, um, Secret Wars. Yeah, it got the shit kicked out of it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, if internally there's been very little strife and everybody has been taken care of, but now the monarchy is seen as having failed the average citizen and is allowing justice at the street level to kind of fall down, you know, and yet still act as though their word is law. You know, what are some of the meanings behind that? Is the law more important if its enforcement doesn't really mean justice? You know, if the law is more important than street level justice, is vigilantism the appropriate response it is, as it is in comic books for the last 75 years? Well, and also, again, we... I reference that he took over for Daredevil in Hell's Kitchen. If anything should give him a perspective on why you would take your justice to that level. <laughs> oh, God. In a perfect world, Coates addresses that and brings that up. Because yeah. that is one of my favorite arcs of this character ever. And I've, I'm not a huge student of the character, but I read, um, and it's been years, a bunch of the Christopher Priest series. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, when Priest sort of brought it back to the street level and had Casper Cole mm. going into the crew. And I'm I'm a minority of people who loves that story, but I really thought that was cool. But again, we discussed you know in other books, it's like you know, with like Remenders. <laughs> you, know, you tell me a story about something that I can relate to in the world, and I'm going to hook more into it. Uh, I think that's why I hooked really hard into that story. And when Black Panther was working in Hell's Kitchen, you know. With here, yeah, there's clearly political stuff going on, and it's interesting ideas. Whether that's going to be enough for me to really hook into it, I'm not sure, but they're really interesting questions. Like, yeah. is a political system that relies on the working class, can that ever be fair? If it's propping up what amounts to royalty, be it, honest to God, royalty, a 1%, you know? And as all this is going on, we've got T'Challa, Convinced that it's this interloper whose name I forget, the one who feeds on emotions. Uh, you know, he, he believes, you know, oh, she's the problem and I'm going to kill her and everything's going to be fine. Whereas she makes it clear, uh, no, there's just a general discontent and feeling of shame yeah, she's, for this she's government. Just poking the bear. <laughs> yeah. And, but the idea, seeing what happens when. Zenzi, her name is Zenzi. Zenzi, okay. Seeing what happens when T'Challa realizes. Oh God, no! It's it's this is happening anyway. Well, and and that's just it. Like he uh, having the mantle of the panther, he's supposed to be in addition to their ruler, their protector, a, a very 
visceral and visual presence that the people can see is keeping them safe. And right now, all they're seeing is that he is attacking them because he they're not doing what he wants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and yes, when... Uh, oh, God, I, I got the names written down. <laughs> when, uh, when Akena attacks the... The, the person who was taking advantage of people in his sub-village of Wakanda. And the law says, no, you have to be put to death because of that. Well, was she enforcing justice? And if the law doesn't enforce justice, does the law mean anything? Exactly. I see big ideas about Wakanda and government and politics going on under the hood of this that could be very, very powerful. At the same time, yeah, there's some comic book storytelling issues that kind of need to be worked out here because the dude's never written in this kind of story before. And I mentioned Kevin Smith earlier and how some of his later comics he kind of punted on as Mm. a celebrity writer. And frankly, even the big one that he gets credit for, Guardian Devil, that only holds up because of Joe Quesada's art. I mean, if you look at that story even half a step back, Kevin Smith fridges Karen Page to motivate Daredevil to fight a Spider-Man villain who never had anything to do with Daredevil. <laughs> it, it doesn't hold up. It's yeah. kind of crap. Yeah. But Kevin well, Smith... Well, that says to me that Kevin Smith really wanted to write Spider-Man and didn't have a shot at that, so took the Daredevil thing so he could use that villain. Oh, no. I remember an interview probably in 1999 or 2000 where he said he really wanted to write Batman. And we got the widening gyre. Oh, so... I just, oh. But it's Smith got a lot of buzz back then, and a lot of people did in similar situations at Joss Whedon taking over Astonishing X-Men yep. and J. Michael Straczynski writing uh, uh, Spider-Man. Mm. In the early 2000s, up to about the mid-2000s, where comics were really on the ropes and almost bankrupt, the idea of a celebrity writer just walking in that it hey, it's a celebrity who's deigning to write comic books. Yeah, and then Straczynski gives us goblin babies, you know. <laughs> goblin babies and Superman walking across the world. It's just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean you should do comics. Yeah. But the days where a celebrity coming in and that's a big deal just by nature, those are gone. Uh, comics doesn't need celebrity outside writers anymore. With that said, there are, I think, really solid and interesting ideas running under the hood here. Oh, I, I totally agree, which is why I'm, I'm willing to see where the art goes over the next couple of issues. But again, the book is called Black Panther. It's not called Wakanda. So give us more of T'Challa. <laughs> yeah, more of T'Challa, more of T'Challa, seeing what he's doing with acting and interacting with people. Yeah. I think that absolutely has to happen. It's... It's clear this is a first-time comic writer. Yes. But clearly it's also a smart guy trying to learn how to write a comic on the fly. Sure. So, yeah, it's there's there's enough here. Yeah, I'm going to hang in for a while. But, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm hoping to see some general comic writing improvement so that those ideas can come to their full fruition. Right. Unless I'm making that shit up. <laughs> I think I see a whole – I think I see a solid engine under that hood. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't pop it and it's like, oh, crap, it's a four-banger with Nas. Shit! <laughs> I don't think that's a case. I, so I I'm hoping for so. the best with this one. Yeah. All right, anything else on this one? Or you no, want to move no. to just pure fucking criminal fun? Yes. All right. I like criminal fun. Yes. This is uh, The Fix Number One, written by Nick Spencer, art by Steve Lieber. 
This is an image book. Uh, yes. And it's one that I literally just, I didn't pay any attention to it. So, oh, it looks kind of like Miami Vice. It's number one. I grabbed it. Um, yeah, the, the blurb that I wrote on this one is picture Crockett and Tubbs, only instead of being good vice cops, they're shitty robbery burglary <laughs> cops. And also they're criminals. Terrible, terrible criminals. <laughs> uh, look, this one was just, it, it's fun. It's the creative team that was behind Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And that was such a fun book. Yes. So if you like that book at all, this should also work for you, even though the supervillain element, it, it's just pure <laughs> Pure. There's no super villains in this. There's no super anything in this. <laughs> These people are fucking losers. They're just. I mean, yeah. I I wrote protagonists in my notes. They're just the losers in front. There's there's a vibe off of this that, to a certain degree, reminds me of Justified. Like, I would love to see this as like adapted into a television series. Oh, <laughs> th- this if this is. <laughs> If this was a spinoff of Justified, this is the Dewey Crow show. Yeah, <laughs> it totally the is. The dumbest, worst fucking criminals. They're just terrible at what they they're do. They're not good. They're very, they're very proud. We're just strong arm, bashy in the head robber types. And they admit it's a world of computers and Bitcoin and electronic security and surveillance. So they, they go in and look, we're going to spoil the shit out of this. Yeah, um, spoilers all over the place. They go in and because they are having difficulty coming up with crimes that they can do to help pay back some mop boss named Josh who runs like a Jamba Juice or some shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, they, they decide to hold up like old people's bingo night and then go looking for a, I guess, a mob boss who's at the nursing home who might yeah. have some cash in his room. <laughs> Not only do they rob the nursing home, but they realize, oh shit, there's nobody to watch these people. <laughs> So we got to hang around and keep an eye on them until an orderly comes back. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, they stick up this, we think he's a mob boss. We don't really know. We don't know. We don't know he th- has a shotgun. Either way, <laughs> he, he appears to be on life support as they're rifling <laughs> his room. And, they, and they're, the biggest thing is his the main guy, uh, what's his fucking name? Dan, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, Roy. Roy. Uh, his partner finds some old, old 1970s porno where it's like, oh, it's not automatic dick in the mouth. <laughs> Airbrushed. <laughs> this is the best part of the score for me. It's that kind of loser criminal. <laughs> yeah, they almost get their heads blown off by this guy who, uh, for all intents and purposes, appears to be pissing in a bag for the rest of his life. <laughs> I mean, they're they're so bad that like they show up in like one of them's wearing like an awful floral printed Hawaiian shirt, and he's wearing the ski mask. And then they come back later as the cops to investigate it. He hasn't changed his clothes. <laughs> yeah, <It's>, and <laughs> the other guy's like fucking with the guy that they're questioning. Did he look like my partner? Was yeah. he wearing this shirt? Was, was he about <laughs> the same height? Did he have this shirt? On? <laughs> so, and it's. And it's not just that they're strong on guard. They're running these stupid... It's not enough that they're on the take. Yeah. They need to be on a take with a movie producer who likes to buy his way out of trouble by optioning the stories of the very crimes that he commits (laughs) and the protagonists stop him from committing, which is fucking genius, by the way. It is. If I were a movie producer, (laughs) I would go on rampages and say, I'll option your story if you let me go for half a million dollars. And it's, but these guys are so dumb, they count on the fact this is going to happen. And th- so they spend money as if, oh, we, there's going to um, be a Illegal new... battle bot betting. Which... <laughs> yeah, they're not betting the ponies, they're betting the battle bots. Which I thought wasn't really a thing outside of Big Hero 6. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just... 
and they're terrible cops. They just abuse their power and they pay off the head of internal affairs. But but they apparently it doesn't work well enough because it, it leads to the best dirty cop versus incorruptible cop tease for the future that I have ever mm. fucking seen. And yeah, it's just fun. They're losers. This is the opposite of competence porn. This is incompetence porn. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incompetence porn. <laughs> yeah. And it's it just, and Roy gives his backstory and, and, and the backstory he gives of not only how he becomes a criminal, but a criminal and a cop. It's weird because it's funny, <laughs> but it's also believable. I could see yeah. somebody saying, yeah, if you look at the world that way, this is the perfect set of things to do. Why would you do anything else if this is your view of the world? So it's, yeah, on one hand, it's, it's got all this fun of these just loser idiots, but there's enough serious behind it. You can kind of get why they're doing things. And most importantly, while, why they're in trouble. Some of the beats where he's talking about, what was the Jamba Juice guy's name? Jake? Yeah, Josh. Josh. You know, there's beats where it's, it seems to be just funny back and forth and they'll say something and Josh will just, it'll be a, a panel of Josh just staring and you realize, oh, this guy's serious. Yeah. You know, he'll, he'll kill him. He'll, <laughs> he'll carve their taints out. And, and, and he's wearing a baby Bjorn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always a mistake. But, but, so yeah, it's just their reaction to, to how they've gotten to this point and what they now have to do gives all of this kind of fun story about losers some real stakes to it, too. Yeah. So this is a rare book. It, literally, the instant I finished reading it, I emailed the owner of our local comic store and told him to add it to my polls. And this is one of the rare books that, yeah, I just sort of pulled off the shelf and I fucking loved it. Yeah, that's no, great. Great book. So... Yeah, definitely give this one a try. It's just... <laughs> it's not your average police procedural. Yeah, no, there's no procedure <laughs> at all. Hence the incompetence porn. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, th this one is definitely bar none the winner of the week. Yes. All right. Oh, how are we doing on time? Oh, about an hour 45. We should probably Goodness. wrap it up. All right. All right. So don't know where you found this particular episode of our little podcast, but you can always find us at our home website, which is crisis at infinite midlives.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. I swear to God, I'm trying to do more on Facebook, but either way, you can always get a message to us. Uh, Facebook page is crisis on infinite midlives. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. Yep. We are, uh, on Tumblr. Technically <laughs> we're there. We're there. Crisis on infinite midlives.tumblr.com. You can find us on iTunes and if, this is your way that you normally get yourself some podcast media. Do us a favor while you're logged in, downloading us from iTunes. Uh, give us a review. Give us a rating. It helps new people find the show. We are on TuneIn Radio. We are on Stitcher. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. We are. And you can always email us if you want to get in touch with us, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. No, Crisis on Infinite... <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Midlives at gmail.com. Thanks. I made my way through like four beers during this show, so I'm mm. doing all right beer i'll have dinner later <laughs> <laughs> no you won't either <laughs> i'll drink it either way uh, <laughs> i guess that is it this has been episode 109 of the mm. crisis on infinite midlife show i'm rob i'm amanda thank you for listening and derp. seriously aliens versus predator versus my little pony let's make this happen ryle <laughs> do it do it do it <laughs>